Here we go. Feels festive. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now I'd like for everybody to stand with me if you're able to stand. If you're able to stand, we stand and I read the scripture. Thank you. Love you. Praise God. Thank you. Are you ready? There is a distinct sound when men speak the intent or the heart of God. It's not like any other sound. I'm not talking about giving something that did not come from God. The Bible denounces that. Abraham is on the Mount Moriah once and he said to his son God will provide himself a lamb the intent the heartbeat of God long before Jesus came to be the lamb Paul said once my God he's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory there's something about people speaking the intent or the heart beat of God. So it's not prophetic. It's not a prophecy. It's just speaking the heart of God, the intent of God. Paul once told Timothy, I know in whom I believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep you and he's able to keep that which I've committed unto you against that day. In other words, I'm persuaded that the things I taught you, God's going to help you to keep those things in your heart against the day of your trouble, your, your issue, your tribulation. Paul said it's not for naught. It's, it can't be for nothing. There is a distinct sound when men speak the intent or the desire of our God. It's not a replacement for the scripture, but it's knowing the heartbeat and the nature of Jesus Christ. Whew. And when you hear it, you'll know it. You'll say, that came from God. Some of those things are not always pleasant. Some of them are convicting. Sometimes I'm preaching, I'm convicted. I said it out of my mouth, but I'm convicted. Sometimes I'm hearing something and, and it pierces my heart. But I know that's what God wanted for my life. And if you go to a church when you, where you are never convicted, you're probably in the wrong church. It 
In fact, it may not be a church. It might be a country club. I'm reading from the book of Numbers, your favorite book in all the Bible. We'll read from the New King James Version. It's, it's, it, it's a very good version. It just, all it does is basically replaces thee with you. few of those terms. And we're going to read from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 25. Now, I'm, I, ha, I, I wanted to read so much more, but just for the sake of time, I, I felt that maybe I would encapsulate a few verses here. Are you ready? Then the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, meaning Moses, took of the spirit that was upon him, placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. So this was a, a sign of the Lord's affirmation upon these 70 elders that the same spirit that was on Moses would now be upon them. But two men had remained in the camp. So there's two locations, the tent of meeting and the camp where all the people were. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. Eldad and Medad. There's a good joke in there somewhere. I'm just going to let it go. I, want, I don't want to let it go. but And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but not gone out to the tabernacle. They weren't there at the tent of meeting. Yet they prophesied the camp. A young man ran told Moses, said, Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his chosen men, he was one of the 70, he answered and said, Moses, forbid them. Don't let them do that. Verse 29. Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses returned to the camp and the elders of Israel. Let me read it in the King James, that last verse, because there's a phrasing that I love. And Moses said unto him, unto Joshua, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them, all of them. Amen. I pray that the Lord would move through this house and I ask you right now, lift up your voice with me in Jesus' name. We invoke your name. Hallelujah, Savior. Wherever you are, I want you to lift up your voice to the Lord and ask Him to speak to you. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, we're going to do a little exercise this will not be comfortable for everyone but it should be comfortable for everyone the reason why it's not comfortable is because we've drifted too far away from our origin 
I don't want you to put your hand on someone's head. But I would like you to lay your hands on someone close next to you. Now maybe it might be their shoulder. You could hold their hand. But I want you to pray for someone next to you. And put your hands on them. And I want you to pray for them with your hands on them. Would you do that right now? I know it may be uncomfortable for some of you. Don't be afraid of this. Put it on their shoulder. Put it on their elbow. Lay hands on them. Jesus' name. Speak his name over anyone you have your hand on them. Speak his name. I want you to say, I cover you in the blood of the Lamb of God. Come on, pray it, pray it. Hallelujah, Savior. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. If you'll allow me just a moment to express Numbers chapter 11 without reading it while I'm preaching, and you can go back. I just need your attention just for a few moments to put some verses into context. And in doing so, the chapter begins in this manner, and I quote, And when the people complained. This is a constant among the people of God. Complaints. Regardless of how they are delivered, how they are brought from the depths of their turmoil, regardless of the enemy and how the enemy has treated them or the conditions of their prior life. The people of God, throughout the entire Old Testament, perhaps even now, seem to forget where God has brought them from and what he has done for them. The absence of memory is the advent of complaining. No memory, much murmuring. No recollection, much dissatisfaction. This is a constant. I may be somewhat general in nature, but both then and now, the sad staple of being bought and brought out and helped and rescued... There's a host of people that always find something to complain about. I have a suggestion for all who have spiritual ears to hear what I'm saying. It's time for you to be joyful. 
I'm not talking about a holiday. I'm not talking about a seasonal joy. I'm going to just act like the pastor here for a moment. You've been wearing your salvation like you were born with it. I got news for you. You weren't born with, with salvation. Some people bring their babies to the church before they bring them home. They go from the hospital to the church to home because they want that special moment. I, I think that's a neat thing. It's fine. It's good. But if you were brought to the church as an infant and all you've known are Sunday schools and church services, you were still a sinner. And there came a time when you had to repent of your sin. And the moment you start complaining, that's the moment you fail to remember that without his grace, which you did not earn and you could not buy, you would be bound in the chains of addiction and secularism and humanism and debauchery headed for an eternity made for the fallen, not made for you. So I want to stand here and just tell everybody, I hope you'll get some memory back. Because the moment you start complaining, that's the moment you forget. You forget where God has, you forgot where God has brought you from and what he's done for you. Because there is none good but God. All have gone astray and turned to their own way. I feel like I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like I should just stay there because not everybody believes that. You don't believe that. Some of you don't believe that. You think you're inherently good. You haven't died daily. In fact, it might have been a long time since you died. You need to die. You're way too alive. You need to be dying. Don't blame Corona on not dying. <laughs> Paul said, I die daily. Why? Because your flesh gets up every day with you. Because your old nature gets up every day with you. I die every day. You never conquer the flesh and you never will. You cannot conquer the flesh because you are in it. But one day you will shed this mortal body and you'll become immortal. And God will give you a new mind and a new body. And a, a, But right now, I'm bound by this I feel I identify actually as a six foot <laughs> six two I was, this is not the right era where, where did John Travolta go I needed him walking around these, it's a whole row of young ladies they, you can't even get in that row unless you start out flat footed at five eight then they have heels on. I just know I got to get to that platform. I cannot see anything around me. <sighs> this flesh, this, this thing that I deal with, my brain, my mind, the affection of my heart. When I was born again, it was not the conclusion of my walk with God. Because I believe in repentance and baptism, it didn't mean that 
that it was over. That was just the starting line. I got, you know, I, I got to start out. There's a lot of things in the way. If I forget that the Lord saved me, it changes the way that I view his word. Changes the way that I consume his word. And I know that I didn't do it by myself, but God made a way and he he did it through his own blood and he laid it down. He gave up so you could climb up. The challenge is not for us to rejoice because our names... Because, because, our, uh, be, because we conquer the devil, but the challenge is for us to rejoice because our names are written in the book of life. That's what he said. Just because you have power over the enemy, don't rejoice. Rejoice because your name is found in the most important place ever. I, I believe we have spiritual gifts, but if you have all the spiritual gifts, but you fail at the end, your name's not written in the book of life, what, what, did, what difference does it make to you? That, it should not be a challenge for us. The reason it's a challenge is because we've learned the difference between being, we've not learned the difference between being satisfied and content. There's, there's a difference between satisfied people and contented people. Con- contented people are not greedy. They are settled. They're not greedy. They do not compare themselves with other people. They are not jealous or angry. No matter what life has done to them or where the path has led, they're not bitter at the trouble because they're content. Being content is the divine will of the Father. But we should never be satisfied. There's always more work to do, ladies and gentlemen. There's always more people to reach and more souls to win and more offerings to give and more dominions to conquer. There's always more missionaries to send and sermons and songs and Bible studies and prayer meetings. I'm never satisfied. If we had... A ten soul revival. I'm, when we're done, I'm looking for the next ten. If we baptize one, I'm looking for the next one. If someone is healed, I'm looking for the next person because I'm never satisfied. And I would just say today, if you stop complaining, it'll change your expression. The Lord put this on me because we got so much and we complain about things that don't matter your whole face will look different and your spirit will be different if you stop complaining and murmuring the best facelift you could ever give yourself is the injection of the Holy Ghost and joy well Now, people are practicing a lot of stuff today. They don't want to look old. They're trying to get rid of those crow's feet. You can get rid of those crow's feet. You won't even, no one even knows you're smiling or sad after a while. You look frozen in time. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. Even still, out of Egypt... Finding a new life, discovering the baptism of the Holy Spirit, finding God. Look at what the children of Israel did, Numbers 11, 1. And when the people complained, that's how it started. It displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. Mm. 
And his anger was kindled. Want to make God angry? And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried to Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. It stopped. Watch now. They are healed. But two verses later, they start complaining again. This is not the only moment we see the weariness of Moses. And I cannot say it for certain, but upon review, he had to have considered his 40 years of training in the wilderness, the obvious affliction levied against the children of Israel, multiple generations of bondage, God's awesome and terrible plagues against Egypt, the dry ground in the bed of the Red Sea, walls like swirling glass, uh, how, how the waters swallowed up the armies of Egypt, horses and chariots and all. He told them, you will see them no more. I'm sure that Moses considered all of that. He was weary with this people. A hovering cloud and a pillar of fire was obviously not enough. And the Bible says they lusted after meat. But now, verse 6, our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. It's no wonder why Moses struck the rock a second time. I know it kept him out of the promised land. I know that he interrupted the type of Jesus Christ. The rock was only supposed to be struck one time. But the people, he said, I am not able to bear all these people alone because it's too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, just kill me right now, Lord. Just kill me, Moses said. Tired of these folks. I don't think there are any people like those people. No church has ever seen so much power, raw power of God, like the children of Israel. Nobody, no group of believers have ever witnessed so many one-off miracles without precedent. As the children of Israel saw, and they complained about so many things, they were incorrigible. God called them stiff-necked people and issued a judgment against them because, and I quote, of the hardness of your heart. Manna, miracles, wonders in the sky and on the land, the profundity of Moses, the treasures of Egypt, the pillar of cloud, the Red Sea, the mountain of fire, the promised land. And they said, but we miss our cucumbers, our onions, our melons, and our leeks. That's verse 4. No. This is the contrast of the children of Israel and the church that Jesus Christ came to build. And the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, they were put through oppression. The early church suffered tribulation and conflict. Some were beaten, others were tortured, some were beheaded. They all watched as James was murdered out in the open. They ran him through with a sword and they stoned Stephen. They were cast out. Some of them were hungry, having no food, no connection. They sold off all their possessions just so they could have a common a common uh, place to eat and food together. They had all things common. The early church opposed the church in the wilderness, even though both saw God's wonder, but one complained, and they complained their way into death, and others waited with eager anticipation to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following this now? And we can only imagine how many times that early church just went outside and looked up at the Mount of Olivet to see if Jesus had come back. If you scroll back to the Old Testament, Moses gave them the pattern and they took it. And finally it spread out throughout all of history. It made its way into the New Testament. Moses said, I cannot feed 600,000 men. I cannot minister to them or care for their needs. 
So God gave him a plan. It was the same plan that the early church adopted. It, be, it came from that moment in Numbers chapter 11. One man was never intended for the entire work. Moses was a prophet. He was a leader. He was a teacher, director, judge, jury, intercessor, intercessor, lawgiver, magistrate, all-around spiritual voice for the entire group, the children of Israel, three million people. God said to him, okay, bring 70 of your elders, leaders that you recognize as leaders and officials, have them come into the tent of meeting that I may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that's on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. That was the pattern. God was going to put his spirit upon those men and they would be commissioned to lead the congregation of people. Seventy men who were called to the tent of meeting. Moses was there. God said, I'm going to put my spirit on them so they can share the burden and lead the people. But when they were called, only 68 of them showed up. Seventy were called, but two were missing. Their names were Eldad and Medad. And they were not in the tent of meeting, they were in the camp. Of course, Joshua is with Moses and he's disturbed by their absence. He's not happy. At this point, Joshua is a young man, immature, without knowledge. He has much to say, but not a lot of wisdom. And he should have held his peace. God sends his spirit, appears that the evidence that all 70 prophesied, at least for a moment, then someone came and said, oh, by the way, those two guys, they didn't show up. The dad brothers. There it is. Couldn't resist. They're out in the camp. They're prophesying. It, it made Joshua angry. He said to Moses, Moses, my Lord, stop them. And Moses said, are, are you jealous for me? Would God that all the Lord's people are prophets and the Spirit was upon everybody. And at that moment, Moses spoke the intent and the desire of our God. And it was not isolated to that moment in time. It did not stay in that dispensation. It did not rest just squarely in Numbers chapter 11. It's for you and me today, right here today. God was not limiting his anointing. Even in the Old Testament, he was not limiting his spirit. Regardless of what that young and immature, undeveloped, incomplete Joshua had to say, irrespective of his protest, the Lord's spirit had already moved on those two men and they did not show up at the meeting. They were in the camp and the spirit of prophecy came upon them and God put his hands upon them and Moses reiterated the manifested truth. God wants all of his people to lead, prophesy, preach, and demonstrate. Now, just for all those who need the end of that, we can take assurance in Joshua. He's going to become a great man. He'll become a great leader in time. Moses is going to lay his hands on him. There's going to be a transfer of authority and power. So we're not going to solely his image. Joshua just needs some growing up time. But to this point, it is the immature Joshua who does not like the way that this is happening. And he thinks that God should limit his anointing. And there's a lot of immature people coming to churches all across America who think that God does not use children or that the voice of God cannot speak through a brand new believer. 
Who are you to decide who God uses and who he does not use? Oh boy. People of all makes and models have been used of the Lord. They had no standing. They had no experience. They had no upbringing. They had no heritage. They had no tradition or custom. They had no parental guidance. But God spoke through them and God used them. And I stand here to say that God's spirit wants to be upon everybody and anoint everybody. It's not up to you who he uses. They may be late to the party. They may be late to the meeting. But there's going to be a lot of 11-hour workers in the vineyard. And they're going to be anointed with the same anointing that you have. Even though you started early in the morning. Wait a second. The Bible has already demonstrated that we are not comfortable with people coming back in. And getting a robe and a ring and the fatted calf. We're going to say, but I've been here all this time. Why did you recognize me? And the father's going to say, no, we're going to have a party. Your, your brother has come back. He was lost, and now he's found. Get the, get the calf, get the ring, get the robe. We're going to have a little dancing party, and we're going to eat the thing that we've been waiting for. I'll tell you why we're struggling. We're struggling because we have a litmus test and we have limited God on who he can use. And I stand to say, oh no, God can put his anointing on you. You don't think you're qualified. But I quote Mark Batterson who once wrote, Mark Batterson wrote this, God does not choose the qualified. He qualifies the chosen. If he chooses you, he'll qualify you. You don't even have to know what to say. All you have to say is, here I am, Lord. You can use me for your glory. You can use me for your work. I'm in the kingdom. I'm preaching about the intent and the desire of our mighty God. And he wanted all of the Lord's people. Everybody would be anointed. He wants you to be saved. God's intent is for your family to be saved. How are you going to escape if we neglect so great salvation? You're not going to escape. You can't neglect this. That's his intent. The message of Jesus was not even hidden. It was very overt. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. The problem was not with the harvest. The problem was there wasn't enough laborers. Perhaps they didn't think they were qualified. Perhaps they didn't think that they had it all together. Who has it all together? Nobody has it all together. I'm still bound by this flesh. I'm still warring against this flesh and I got to die every day. Even before we began and you laid hands on people, I just went over and said, Connor, just lay hands on me. And Connor said, Lord, I cover my pastor in the blood of the lamb. Give him wisdom to preach the word. And that was the prayer that began this sermon. That's right. I, I, I'm showing you the operation of the early church. We got to get back to the early church. Oh. Here's Acts 13. Now they were in the church that was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, 
As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Watch this next verse. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them away. Sent. They became apostles. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the last time the Bible will refer to him as Saul. From that moment, the next time you see that word, it'll be a clarification that Paul, who used to be called Saul, and you'll never read Saul again. Because when they, oh, when they put their hands on them and they anointed him, they recognized him as somebody different than the man that came in the door. That's the last time I'm calling you Saul. I put my hands on you. I know you've got the anointing. I'm anointing you. And you're going to do a great work. And he left there and wrote 13 books of your Bible and converted almost all of Asia Minor. Yes. This is not just for us. This is for you. Qualified by the word, commissioned by the elders, and confirmed by the Holy Ghost. The next page is the manifestation of power and conversions everywhere Paul went. There was an explosion of the gospel, baptisms, this is right from your scripture, baptisms, miracles, infilling of the Holy Ghost. He trained disciples in every city. He established churches, churches in Ephesus, Thessalonica, uh, Pergamus, Crete, the Isle of Melita called Malta. There was many, many more. I couldn't even go through them all. Because they laid hands on them, on Paul and Barnabas, and they advanced Paul in the gospel. Would that all God's people were preachers, Bible study teachers, workers, investors in the kingdom. That's God's will for you. The early church did not believe in professionalized ministries. They thought it was their individual responsibility to spread the gospel everywhere they went. Yes, they had apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they were offices. But all the church was engaged in spreading the gospel. We have no record of the early church thinking that it was not their responsibility to have prayer meetings, spread the gospel, teach or preach. In fact, one of the Bible's greatest sermons was preached by the church administrator. His name was Stephen. Get ready, Derek. And he didn't just preach, but the Bible says in Acts 6 and 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen preached one of the Bible's most profound messages in Acts chapter 7, and in fact, it is the longest sermon found in the Bible. From a man who believed it was his responsibility to give an answer to everyone. The businessman was a preacher of the gospel. Think how far we've come. Where people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm just an accountant. I, I'm, I'm just a carpenter. I, I just drive a truck. I, Pastor, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just work at the grocery store, but man, Pastor, you know, I, I'm, you know, I just, I just, I just work at a factory. What are you talking about? That's not who you are. That's just what you do. Oh. 
God's intent was never meant to keep preaching isolated in one building once or twice a week. And then the rest of the time, everyone would be silent and wait for the preacher to get up and preach again. That was never his intent for the early... In fact, the early church, the Book of Acts church, knew what his intent was. Stephen was among, was among other businessmen, but he was not among the twelve... He was a disciple, but he wasn't among the twelve. He was not an apostle, but he was an honest man full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom over which they gave him the business of the church. He was a businessman, still preaching, performing miracles, doing the work, and he wasn't the only one. There were seven in all. This is your Bible. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Tamin, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they, lay, they, they prayed, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great number, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Because everybody thought that the same spirit that was on Paul, and Silas, and Peter, and Barnabas should be on them too. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called church growth. That's called a functional, healthy, spiritually functional body. Everyone's a preacher and everyone's a teacher. Everyone can be full of faith and perform great wonders and miracles before all the people, even though not everyone holds the same office. You do not have to have an office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to perform the works of the Lord. Spiritual gifts are given and the anointing provides the evidence. Some are given the task of keeping the books and others give themselves over to continual prayer and to the ministry of the word. But everybody teaches and everybody reaches and everybody loves and everyone does the work. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the pattern of the early church. Would that all God's people were involved. I, I wonder what would happen to our church and to so many churches if everyone who graced the buildings held the conviction that the world is lost without Jesus and we are all meant to reach them. What would happen if we stopped waiting for recognition and just went to reach the lost? This is but one pulpit. It's just one. But there are a lot of other pulpits you can have. Your shopping cart is a good pulpit. If you get nervous, you can even just grip it. You can fiddle around with stuff inside of it. This is not the only place I'm preaching and loving people. I went into Walmart, Meyer, whatever it was, and I was about 10 steps in and saw Christel and your friend, and I forget what her name was, but thank you. And I paused, and, and the Spirit of the Lord just came over me. And I began to talk to them about the Lord, and I, I hugged that lady. And we... We spoke some words together that was meant to encourage her in the Lord. If I professionalized this thing, I'd have walked by them and said, well, just come and see me on Sunday. 
If I was like a lot of people, I would have said, well, you know, that's just not my place. I'm not the preacher. What are you talking about? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and preachers and lovers and witness? Would that everybody was? I wonder what would happen if all of us decided we're going to go reach somebody and we're going to teach somebody and we're going to love somebody. You might not even know everything to say. All you got to do is say, I'm praying for you. I love you. What can I do for you? What if we did not go to a restaurant just to eat? Oh, man. What if our real intent was to witness? This, this, I'm messing with you now because I know that you don't want me to say this. Because you want to get to the restaurant because it satisfies you. But when you get to the restaurant, you're out in the public. It's time to put on the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You don't know who's there. Do you know, you know what happens? This is what happens in churches all the time. Now, I've grown up in this. I know what a subculture looks like. Churches become a subculture where we know what to do here, but we don't know how to live there. We know the right actions and things to go through here, but, but we're dysfunctional out there. Wait, we can't do that. We, let's not do that. Let's not play games. Come on, you, you've got to be an apostolic Pentecostal, fire on God, fire, on fire for God. You gotta be that way every day of your life. You gotta wake up and say, my purpose is not to make money. My purpose is to reach somebody with the gospel and change their eternity. I gotta change someone's eternity. More than all God's people. Now, now this has taken, this has been in my heart for a long time. It's a danger point, I know. Uh, one of my relatives asked, it, it, it cut me to the core, I'll never forget the day. When one of my relatives asked, if you really think people need to be baptized in Jesus' name, why are you not telling everybody? You see, the danger here is that maybe we don't believe in the gospel. Maybe most churchgoers are not convinced in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So instead of running after the lost and not taking no for an answer, we've grown comfortable sitting among the body. We like the body. We feel good about coming to church because it appeases our guilt. We go through our religious practice. Because if we really believe that Jesus was the only door and the only way, and that everyone needed to believe and be baptized to be saved, let me just quote your Lord, that you say he's your Lord. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, you don't even have a chance because you didn't believe, but if you want to be saved, you got to believe and be baptized. We don't really believe that. Because we casually walk by everybody without saying anything to anyone. Romans 8, 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. That's the only way that you are with God. If the spirit of God is in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You have to have the spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again of the water and the spirit. They cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again of the water and spirit. Even he said, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. But do we believe that? 
I'm asking today, can we grow? Is there enough love, encouragement, confidence that we can anoint leaders for a greater purpose in this house? We're here for a purpose today. And I'm about to anoint some leaders in this house. I'm going to anoint them. And some elders are going to anoint them. And some other ministers are going to anoint them. And the church is going to anoint them. And we're going to carry the burden of our city together. Because this is not a one-man show. I don't want it to be a one-man show. I, I play the saxophone. And I had for a long time. This is what I used to do. Play the saxophone, sing, preach. You know, I had a guitar. Sometimes I'd play a couple songs and play the piano. It's been a long time. And traveled around. And then finally I got married Tammy. And and, and Tammy watched me do this stuff. And when I got to to Terre Haute and started pastoring, she said, this is nice. Uh, That's what you did when you were traveling. But don't be a one-man band. So... I put my horn away and, and put all that stuff away because we, we got to recognize this is a broad view. There's a lot of people. I can't lay hands on everybody. I don't have the wisdom for everybody. I don't know. Some of you are distraught because in the last year and a half, two years, I've been telling you, I don't know. It's bothered a lot of people. You've asked me questions, I'm, I'm not really sure. In fact, there have been several people who have said, well, I thought you were the pastor. And I've just decided to reply, me too. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I had a lot more confidence when I started. Could, it could be that the new convert, the new believer that, that you just walked by, maybe they had the word of God for your life. But you didn't consider them Because you thought they had to have tenure. It could be that maybe one of these teenagers could come over and just say a word to you and lay their hands on you and you would be miraculously healed, but you won't give that opportunity because you've just decided who's anointed and who's not anointed. I want to say everybody has got to be anointed and we're all... I know what my office is supposed I think I know what my office is is supposed to be. I've kind of got that. And I I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But I will tell you, if we're going to grow and reach our community, it's not going to come right through here. This is a limited venue. I don't care how many people watch online. It's not the same as being here and laying hands on people. I'm glad we have this forum for live streaming for people who cannot come. Let me just tell you how this started. I was resistant of all live stream. The reason why we even have live stream today is because Janet Jenkins was was suffering with leukemia. And she, she could not make it to church many years ago. And so we had a little iPad. We were trying to FaceTime her so that she could hear the sermon. And finally it didn't work. And, and I, I, I finally broke down. I saw, I said to Matt Landon, okay, let's just do it. Let's go live stream so that she could see the service. It was not so that everybody in the world could tune in and sit at home in their pajamas. I understand where people, hey, we've all gone through it, but now it's time to get out of your pajamas, get off the couch. <laughs> well, no. It's all right. Because if this is the only word, this is not going to help you. 
it's going to be a little temporary high. It's going to give you a little natural endorphin. And then it's going to fade away. That's why you're depressed on Monday night. You're happy right now, but you're depressed on Monday night. Get the choir up here. Man, we are shouting for joy. But no sooner than the choir is over, we are, we are depressed. Because we got the sugar high. I'll tell you how to retain your joy. First, stop complaining. If you want to get out of a hole, stop digging. There's a novel idea. I'd like to get out of this. No, you don't. You want to stay in that. That's why you keep digging that hole. You're content to be in the hole and complaining about the hole. I'd say stop digging. Put on joy. And if you don't feel like it, then you didn't understand what joy was anyway. Had nothing to do with your feeling. Had to do with your decision. I decided to be joyful. I decided to magnify the Lord. I decided to shout and clap. I made a choice. Yes. Right? Right? Here's the intent of our God. Here's the intent. 1 Timothy 2 and 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Timothy, hear this now. Who will have all men to be saved. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. And all the people said amen. Amen. Now in this house we've got profound preachers. We've got profound teachers. But we don't have enough. We've got Bible study teachers, but we don't have enough. We have intercessors, but everybody ought to be intercessing and praying before the Lord. We've got, we've got elderly ladies full of faith. They're givers. They wouldn't even blink. The first check they write is their tithe and their offering. They don't even consider anything else but being faithful in their tithing and their offering. It's been going on a long time. I had two words to me this morning from two different people who did not talk to confirm what I needed to do today. It was bizarre. Before I got up here, two, two words. I'm taking this today. I'm taking some territory today. And the, ter- and the territory that I'm taking today, that territory, I've got to conquer some things in that territory the first thing we're going to stop doing is we're going to stop complaining about not having what we want or enough. We got more than enough. If you receive nothing for Christmas, really? We have more than enough. If you, if, you, if, you don't, if, if you feel bad about the gifts that they're given, just give them to me. <laughs> First thing we're going to do, we're going to stop complaining. Because we're, we're sitting in a beautiful auditorium. And there's prayer going into this place. And there's, a, there's so much love in this house. And if you don't have a friend, the Bible says, make yourself friendly. Go be a friend. And if they don't want to be your friend, go to the next person. If you don't have a friend, get you a little button and say, I'd like to, I, like, I need a friend today. Who would like to be my friend? 
where I pass those out at the welcome center. People in need of a friend. And you will make a friend. I'll tell you how you make a friend. Be friendly. Nobody wants to be around a complainer. Poor mouth and everything's down. You know, you know what that sounds like, right? Well, how you doing? I'm here. That's it? How you doing? I'm doing. Man, see you later. That's all you've got? I'm doing? Put on some joy. You got the Holy Ghost. Thank God. You should just say, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm going to heaven. I'm doing pretty good. Your body's going to break down. Your money's going to run out. Your family's going to be a wreck. But if you've got the Lord, you've got everything you've ever needed. You ought to put on joy and come on, the people of God. You've seen too much. We have too much. I think we should just rejoice in the Lord just because he's good to us. Just take a moment and say, thank you, Lord, because you're good to me, Lord, because you blessed me today. You're not done with that. You're not done with that. You got to keep on going with that. You're never going to get out of complaining until you start rejoicing. Because a well cannot bring forth bitter and sweet water at the same time. If you just get some sweet water, it's going to overcome the bitter. Oh, yes. Oh, I got territory. I'll tell you what territory, I am, I am coming after all those negative, critical spirits, judgmental attitudes. We are done with that. The people of God are blessed. You are anointed. You've got a church. You've got the Bible. You've got love. You've got truth. You have the ability to worship and praise God. Just be seated for a moment. I'm... I'm on my first closing. Everybody said yes. yes. We're going to put on praise. We're going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and coming into his courts with praise. And then the next line says, be thankful and bless his name. Thanksgiving is over. But it ought not be. The turkey may be gone it should be gone by now <laughs> if it's not throw it away salmonella whatever but you ought to get thanks giving in your spirit and when you come into the presence of the Lord you ought to be thankful and when you wake up, you ought to be thankful. And the moment you decide to complain about something, you just say, the whole earth is filled with the goodness of the Lord. That's the scripture. And the second territory I'm taking today, and I won't exhaust all of this, is the acknowledgement among the people of God that the ministries must be wide and varied and that we all must anoint people 
to lead the congregation. We have among us great musicians, anointed musicians, all around this place. I've commissioned years ago Zach and Lacey Fisher to be our ministers of music. And they work with an entire team that are dramatic. We want people that are dramatic to sing on the platform. We want our engineers to be in closed rooms behind walls and sound, sound systems and computers. We don't want our engineers to be on the platform because they're duds and they feel the same spirit upon them but they have no expression and the engineers when I ask them the people to lay hands and hug someone they immediately just look for their wife even if they're not married no we want people that are dramatic with drama passion I want someone leading me in worship that cries, laughs, smiles, moves, waves, feels the, sur- the word, the song, and not just sing the lyrics. It'd be nice if they were all balanced and we have the balance, but Zach and Lacey Fisher work with all of our team. What, what the difference is our team is that our team is a balanced team. So they can feel the words but still hear the sermon too. We don't have a bunch of drama queens. We don't have any Mariah Carey vocal tricks happening on the platform, thank God. Because we're a team. Because we're here to lead and worship. We're not here to worship for you. I'm part of that team, if you didn't know. (laughs) We're going to anoint Zach and Lacey today as part of our pastoral care team. And we're going to put a spirit on them And the church is going to anoint them today because every day that they get up and lead, they have to deal with different spirits that enter this place. You cannot sing the songs of Zion with anointing without being attacked from the enemy. If there's one place that the devil would like to get back, he'd like to get back the music department because Lucifer was the choir director and the music, the archangel in heaven. And when he fell, someone had to pick up the music. That's right. And I'll tell you, we're we're not the church of Christ. God love them. Bless them. Uh, It's great. I've been to the church of Christ a couple of times. First time I was at the church of Christ, uh, I wasn't supposed to be there. I I had my saxophones in my hand, my guitar, my CDs. I went down to the church on the left, went in, went went into the place, set, they had a table, put my stuff out. People were kind. They were nice to me. And, 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 and I knew something was wrong. I went outside, looked at the church sign, and said, the church of Christ. A church of Christ does not believe in music in the church, but they were really happy I was coming. I was there. They were going to have revival, I guess. I don't know. But when I found out the Church of Christ, I packed up my stuff, just left, got in the car, drove the, the Pentecostal church was about another block down the way. I've been to the Church of Christ. Just want to make sure I'm in the right church. I'll tell you what the Apostolic Church has. We have music. Half of everything we do is music. We got to have music. We have to shout, praise, clap, sing, and we want our music, and we need it. And we don't just have music, we have the best music. We have the best keyboard players, the best drummers, and the best choir directors. You're blessed. You have no idea how blessed you are. We're blessed. 
And we're going to anoint this couple and we're going to put our hands on them and the Holy Ghost is going to be with them even more and more powerful because all of us are anointing them today. Amen. I don't know where, where our church would be without Ryan and Amanda Wallace. They're leading a massive ministry and children's ministry. Between the ages of 4 and 14, most people develop their worldview. They decide what they're going to be before they, before they reach the age of 15. At 14, that door closes, that window closes. It's called the 414 window. Ryan and Amanda are loving our children. Your kids and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews are not only safe with them, but they're hearing a balanced love gospel approach to their life. There are, I don't have the stats in front of me, I'm sorry, there, there are almost 400 children on our roster. They don't all come to church at one time. They, on a regular basis, minister to between 120 and 180 children every Sunday. That's just on Sundays. We need a lot of help. They're praying for our kids. They're seeking God. This is not a job for them. They don't get paid to do it. <laughs> We're going to anoint them. Because if there's going to be a perpetuation of the generational church, it's going to have to come through our Sunday school department. I'm presenting babies to you on a regular basis, but they get old enough, and then they go to Sunday school. And that's where they learn about Jesus. And we want them to learn about Jesus. And we're going to need people, because I can't be in there. Listen, I've had four children. Tammy and I have had four. We've already gone through those phases. We're, we're, we're waiting for the next segment of life. We've had four. Praise God. And, and it wasn't always pleasant. I think uh, uh, Tammy, ha we, had, we, had, uh, we had three, Roman Reagan and, and Alexandra at one time. Scott and Jennifer had Grant and, and Maxie. And, and Jennifer and Tammy were sitting on the second row in the old church. And I was trying to preach. And, the, and those kids were terrible. I finally had to stop the service and say, if the Harpo kids would leave the sanctuary, we might have a move of God. I don't, I don't know. We understand. Kids crying, getting up, walking out. I mean, it's okay. I, I, because, you know, they, they, need to, they need to get up. Uh, hopefully not everybody gets up. Surely there can't be 50 people with small bladders in this house. There is, but I don't know. We're thankful for our children. We want more kids. I, I don't want to get political here. I want to indoctrinate them with this. Before they indoct indoctrinate them with that. I will put Jesus in their heart. And love in their spirit. I want them to have the words Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus name. I want them to have the words praise and clapping and dancing before the Lord. I want that in them. We're going to anoint Ryan and Amanda. And there's going to be people that they're going to minister to as a pastoral care team. And finally, Andrew and Crystal Fisher. Now, before I talk about them, these aren't the only people. Because this is just opening the door for more anointings. That's right. 
Because we're going to reach our community. It's the will of God. It's the intent and the desire of God to reach ten times more people than what's in this building right now. That's the intent and desire of the Lord. He wants your neighbors. He wants your families. He wants the new believers. He wants the backsliders. He wants the sinners. He wants everybody. He wants you. Amen. Now, Andrew and Crystal, there's very few people like these folks. And they're perfect for each other and perfect for the youth. Andrew is, 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 is fun. And he, and he spiritually loves God. Joyful. He, 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 loves, he loves the kids. He loves our young people. He's my kid's pastor. They call him Pastor Andrew. If he needed them to do something, they, they will do it. In fact, things have changed in our calendar, in our schedule, in our home because they wanted to obey their pastor. That's right. And Crystal is the anchor if you didn't know it. She holds the whole thing together. And she's powerful and spiritual. And she's been teaching a lot of our young ladies for a long time how to be an apostolic young lady with courage, not pride, with boldness and not arrogance. And these three couples... They represent our church. They've already qualified themselves because they do the work. And we're going to anoint them today. We're going to anoint them today. Amen. So I'd like for all of you to come to the front. Amen. Just want you to stand in front of me, if you will. Families, thank you. Thank you, families. Amen. Ryan Amanda, thank you. Stand in front of me. Thank you. Sister Tammy, I want you to come. I want all the congregation to stand. Would God that all the Lord's people are prophets. Amen. I'd like for our elders to come to the front. Preachers and ministers, I want you to come to the front. Derek, I want you to come and bring the oil. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Come. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I'm waiting for you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Come. Amen. Uh, uh, the, the ladies that are here, I want you. You're, I want you to lay hands on these ladies here today. I want all the church. We're going to pray, and what God's going to do is He's going to expand the work of this house, and He's going to use the, these families. We're not just going to pray for the for the couples. We're praying for their children, because by design, their children are in the ministry. You are in the ministry. This is your church. You are in the ministry. You have a commission. Your parents are not the only one in the ministry. You are also in the ministry. And we're going to pray for them and we're going to anoint them. And after we anoint them, we're going to continue to anoint them with our respect, with our honor, 
We're going to allow them to lead the congregation. They're going to be leading us. This is the will of God for this church. And this is the first of, I believe, that many to come. We're opening a door here today. Amen. Oh, before we even lay hands on them, I want you just to pray right now. Lord, just open up the windows of heaven right now. Come down in your presence and your spirit right now, Lord Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. 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 Amen. This happened to us about a year and a half ago, almost two years, I think, and and we knew this was coming and we talked about it. I, I, I met with, with them and we talked about this. It's been, a, it's been a long journey now to get to this point. But we believe that the Lord is going to, going to help us and he's ordained this moment because there's generations of music directors and, and, and musicians, worship leaders coming, generations of that. Right, man, there's generations of, of, of teachers. You're training your own children in, in the work of the ministry right now. But there's many, many, many. And, and Andrew and Crystal, you know, there'll be a moment when you'll move up into another area. But we're grateful that you're both taking on the, the, the pastorship of our young people and, and, and student ministries. It's amazing what you're doing. We honor you for that. We honor your word. And we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank these people for their sacrifices, ladies and gentlemen, for the operation of our church. If we had to put these people on staff, full-time paid staff, we would not have the things we have today that you see. But they work jobs every day. They're working jobs and they're donating their time here. So we're grateful for that. Now, I want, if you want to gather in around them, you can. But I'm calling for anyone who wants to come and pray. And we're going to lay hands on them. And I ask you to lay hands on one another. And we're going to do it again. Because the anointing of the Holy Ghost is going to be in this house. And we're going to anoint them. Are you ready for that? I'm just going to give you a moment to move out. Thank you. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost here, Lord. This is a divinely ordered moment. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. All right, come on, everybody. We're lifting up our voices in Jesus' name. 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 In Jesus' name.